This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. You are among friends. Uh, We are about to launch a brand new format here on the Conspiracy Show. It begins in moments with our panel... Uh, tonight, media scientist Nelson Thal and independent researcher and host of the popular podcast Conspiracy Cafe, George Freund, uh, will join us to discuss whether the Trump train has derailed. Also in hour one, a theoretical physicist from the University of British Columbia has done the math and his verdict, time travel to the past is possible, at least mathematically. Dr. Ben Tippett will be here to talk about what his time machine would look like and how it would operate. He calls it the TARDIS, which should sound familiar from uh, you fans of Doctor Who. Uh, then, uh, back in the 1980s, the, uh, the Soviets developed a doomsday device with the chilling nickname Dead Hand. And guess what, folks? They still have it, and by all accounts, it is still operational. Blogger, editor Jason Torchinsky has that story, and he'll join us later in the hour. And a a quick heads up, in the second hour, open lines. We will uh, institute uh, an open line segment the first half hour of hour two every week. Uh, That's the plan going forward anyhow. And uh, also in the second hour, the story of CubeSat for Disclosure. This is a low-Earth orbit mini-satellite that hunts for UFOs or will hunt for UFOs. It's been uh, funded, and uh, the gentleman who orchestrated the crowdfunding campaign for CubeSat for Disclosure, Dave Schock, will tell us more. Quickly, let me introduce the boys in the band, as always, on the Flying V Gibson guitar, my technical producer, Ian Robertson. On the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, Albert Vinzel, and finally on the Hammond B3, Ryan White, who produces my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet. Uh, Now, it is time for our weekly remote viewing experiment, What's in the Box? 
And if you'd like to participate, please use the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCSRemote. You must use the, the hashtag TCSRemote. All right, dear listener, focus your attention. Here are the coordinates. The object is sitting in a cigar box to my left on the studio desk here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There, you have the coordinates. Now, focus. Let the image form in your mind. Allow the shape, the color, the texture to form in your mind. You can tweet me your answer at Richard Serrett. Again, use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS as in The Conspiracy Show. And we'll do the reveal just after the bottom of the hour. All right, it's time for our panel. Tonight's discussion, has the Trump train derailed? In recent weeks, supporters have been disheartened particularly after the cruise missile attack on Syria. They see uh, Breitbart publisher Steve Bannon's role being diminished. Son-in-law Jared Kushner, some see as a more of a liberal elite establishment, having his father-in-law's ear. Has Trump, the popular, a populist rather, the populist disruptor, been co-opted by the globalists here to discuss a good friend of the program, media scientist and official archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, Nelson Thal. Nelson, welcome. How are you, my friend? Just terrific. This is great. And uh, independent researcher and host of the popular podcast Conspiracy Cafe, independent researcher George Freund. George, welcome to you, sir. Oh, thank you to have us aboard. I miss Nelson. Haven't seen him in so long. Yes, Good hearing your voice and seeing you in there, George. All right, gentlemen. So, uh, first to you, Nelson. The, uh, the, the first 100 days have come and gone. There have been some, uh, some victories. There have been some, uh, some defeats. But many supporters have been left scratching their heads and wondering whether, in fact, the man that they, they voted for uh, has perhaps been, been co-opted like so many before him. What do you, what, give us some – what do you think are this, maybe some of the highlights of the first 100 days and maybe some of the disappointments? And then talk to me about your concerns if you have any. You know, last time I was on with you, Richard, I said that uh, uh, Trump was backed by the Patriots, the old 1776 movement, the Patriots. They're the value adders, I said. And he's up against the power grabbers, the one word globalists. And I don't think the uh, battle that he's starting to wage is going to be something that goes linearly. There's going to be ups and downs and ups and downs. And your uh, friends, you stay close, and your enemies, you keep closer. He knows that. And so Bush, uh, not Bush, uh, Trump keeps his enemies closer so that he can control the situation and uh, work on the art of the deal. Interesting, uh, which may explain then why he has allowed a certain uh, CFR members into the inner circle that has raised exactly. some eyebrow, uh, raised some eyebrows. Over to you, George Freund. Um, your your appraisal of the first hundred days and maybe some of your concerns. Well, he came out of the box very very quickly, and it seemed that he was coming out very very strongly, and that we were going to have a good president, maybe the president that people wanted, the people's choice. 
but it appears that uh, somehow something changed, and that was just manifest with his lightning strike 180 on Syria. He said in 2013, and that's the joys of tweeting, is all, it's all over the world. He just said it would be a major faux pas for America, at that time controlled by Mr. Obama, to get involved in Syria, and there would be serious consequences to this, and that it shouldn't be done. And then, lo and behold, he goes and does it. And uh, so he just seemed to change. He seemed to be not the same old Trump. He didn't seem to be the man in charge. He seemed to be the guy who's just following orders. And then for the rest of us who are well-informed, we know about the shadow government, the deep state, and the hold they have on most political leaders on the planet Earth that are still breathing. And we know that it's something happened to him, that he just changed. And then to follow through on the most trivial false flag attack, this sarin gas attack, it was almost comical. The trouble, you know, if you got some high school students to do movies and special effects, you'd probably get a better job than uh, the intelligence agencies do. Because, you know, this is supposed to be like the most deadly poison known to mankind. You know, a couple of drops will, will, will knock out a small village. And... People are handling the bodies later barehanded without any protection. Well, you can't have it both ways. Either this is the most dangerous thing known to mankind or it's not. Well, it's and, an interesting point, George, but I don't, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, and, uh, but I, 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 even Assad and, and, and the regime in Syria, as far as I know, acknowledged that the attack took place. They, what they said was, though, uh, that it was uh, the terrorists um, uh, that had uh, bombed, the the, the 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 warehouse facility that housed the uh, the chemicals. So they weren't denying that the attack took place. They simply said we weren't responsible for it. And I, and I agree. I, to me, it doesn't pass the sniff test. Why would Assad, uh, after essentially uh, being told uh, by Trump and um, Rex Tillerson that he would be allowed to stay, as far as the Americans were concerned? Also, with the the aid of Putin, it would appear that uh, they were turning the tide in the war in the war against. Uh, the uh, the rebels. Uh, it made no sense whatsoever for him to suddenly uh, launch a chemical attack against his own people. Um, well, especially so I, when you have fighter bombers and all the other toys of the military, you don't need to do that. High explosives are, are very, very effective coming out of uh, these fighter bombers. Right. Let me get Nelson Thal back in here. Nelson, uh, your reaction. Uh, when when the cruise missile attack was launched, what were your thoughts? Did, did you think that perhaps Trump had capitulated to what George referred to as, you know, the deep state, the shadow government? No, I, I don't disagree with George. There was a change. But I think that you got to look at what's, uh, what Trump said. He said that um, he was draining the swamp. He said that he inherited a mess. And, you know, when you inherit a mess, a lot of times you have to do things suddenly at first, which is just a one-step action. But he's draining the swamp. And remember, we had this coup takeover in 45 and 63. We've had that whole gang of one world guys took over in 45, 63 with Dornberger and Galen and Waldheim, Kurt Waldheim at the UN, Hitler in Argentina. Um, we're fighting back against this coup d'etat. And um, I see Trump as being part of a, that group that's, that's fighting against them. And he's, he's in the control tower now and he's kicked them out and he still has a lot of dirt that he has look after as I see it 
And I don't think what I say is happening disagrees with George. I think there is a change. But I don't think that Trump's lost his understanding and his identity and the and his, his purpose. Media scientist Nelson Thal and the host of The Conspiracy Cafe, George Freund, join us here on the panel on The Conspiracy Show. Has the Trump train been derailed? Uh, uh, George, to Nelson's point that uh, Trump's strategy here in terms of allowing certain CFR members and so forth into the inner circle, and some of those appear to have his ear, that this is Trump's strategy to keep his enemies closer. Do you buy that? He doesn't have any choice but to keep them closer. And uh, part of the, the risk that uh, Alex Jones put up uh, the other day is there is a move afoot to take him out. There, there are continuity of government plans where if the majority of your cabinet and the vice president say you're unfit to command, they can take you out. They can vote you out, have Congress put together uh, a committee to, to analyze whether you're fit to be president. And a lot of the extremely liberal media especially the Atlantic Magazine and David Frum, are you know, pointing out that uh, that's, that's on the table, and uh, they'll do anything they can to get him out of power. My other big concern with Mr. Trump is he's good friends with Rupert Murdoch, and Rupert Murdoch has extensive oil interests in Syria, as well as uh, you know, Mr. Rothschild. So that's a serious concern that, okay, you're golfing, buddy. I sent you a picture of them where they're all on the golf cart, and Trump's taking them along the course, and Rupert Murdoch's in the back with his feet up, and it's just, you know, hey, boy, twice around the park and then shine my shoes and bomb Syria. Well, um, my, my understanding is in terms of uh, the, the uh, oil deposits in Syria, they're not expansive, and, and that industry is, is in its infancy. So I don't know. You, you may be right. I, I, I don't see that as being, a, um, you know, an, an overarching concern about the oil reserves in Syria. I may be wrong about that. Uh, Nelson, very quickly to you, what, what do you want to see going forward from Trump to confirm in your mind that the Trump train is still on the rails? I think that he is a art-of-the-deal man, wants to try and put together the biggest deal on, in the planet. And he's talked about it. It's no surprise. It's, he said it. Uh, he wants to do this deal with Abbas and Netanyahu, and to bring about a peace pact, seven-year peace pact, in the Middle East. And that's what he has stated is his goal. Whether he can do it, we'll only have to sit around and watch. I agree with George, the, the ruling elite, what he's saying they want to do. I think they've tried. From what I understand, there's been a number, major attempts uh, sophisticatedly to take out uh, Trump. And all I can say to George's point is um, he's gotten this far. I don't think he would have gotten this far if they hadn't tried to throw everything at him already. All right, uh, quickly, uh, George, that, just, about out of, say, um, just about maybe, out of time, Nelson. Maybe he'll survive. Okay, That's George, quickly, question. very quickly in 15 seconds, what do you want, final word to you, George, what do you want to see from Trump to reconfirm the Trump train is still on the tracks? I want to see him meet Vladimir Putin, and I want to see him uh, bring the world to some peaceful resolution to our problems instead of always saber-rattling. We're using nuclear weapons now, not sabers. All right, and George, got to leave it there. George Freund, The Conspiracy Cafe, Conspiracy Cafe, and Nelson Thal, media scientist, archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it.
All right. When we come back, theoretical physicist Dr. Ben Tippett says time travel to the past is mathematically possible. That's up next on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Like a lot of you, as a kid, I marveled at H.G. Wells' novel, The Time Machine. And I watched reruns of Irwin Allen's uh, television program, The Time Tunnel, starring James Dean and Lee Merriweather. Remember that? That's going back 50 years. I, I didn't watch it when, they, when it was in its first run, believe me. I watched the, uh, the repeats. But time travel remains one of my all-time favorite topics. So imagine my excitement. When I read about this recent paper published by my next guest, Dr. Ben Tippett is a theoretical physicist at the University of British Columbia. He's crunched the numbers, and his startling conclusion, time travel to the past is possible. He joins us now. Dr. Tippett, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hello, Richard. How's everybody out there tonight? Excellent. Are you well-rested after our uh, our program on uh, Coast to Coast last night? Whoa, I'm not <laughs> built for these 2 a.m. phone calls. <laughs> well, you uh, acquitted yourself quite nicely. That was, um, uh, it's a very difficult uh, a topic to talk about, as you, as you mentioned, uh, particularly when it's, uh, you know, mathematical formulas, and it's one of those things that's given to uh, sort of illustrating it rather than talking about it. But you did a wonderful job, and your analogies were very apt and really cemented, I think, in a lot of people's minds how this thing will work. Okay, so let's talk about your conclusion and be clear right. that time travel to the past is mathematically possible, mathematically possible but not necessarily feasible. We should state that uh, from the outset. You, your analogy, uh, your, your comparison was it would be it's, it's, it's possible for a snake uh, to, to attend Harvard, uh, Harvard but it's not, uh, it's not likely to happen anytime soon. Yeah, that's right. Um, ma- ma- mathematically possible is an interesting, is an interesting way of putting it, uh, as, as we did, in that um, it's something where we have mathematical models that describe it. And there aren't any particular problems with the mathematical models. There are features and attributes of these mathematical models. But then we can ask ourselves, what is physically required to generate one of these features in space-time? What's required to generate one of these features in space-time? What kind of a material is physically required? And then once we have that answer, we can say, how plausible is it that we could build one of these things or see it out there in the universe? Um, So... Our conclusion is, yes, mathematically possible. We're not the first to say it. It's a a long-standing tradition in my field uh, since the 1950s to investigate uh, features like this. Um, But the issue here is, is it physically feasible? And the answer is, it's very, 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 very improbable. You need a type of matter that we've never seen in a laboratory or detected with our telescopes. 
This is something you called exotic matter, and it, it doesn't exist at the moment. It hasn't been discovered, and so that's sort of the the major, major stumbling block, which would prevent time travel to the past from ever occurring. But that didn't stop you from sort of designing this. Give us a sense of, and you call it the TARDIS, which is very clever, of course, because that was the, the phone the phone booth uh, devi- travel time machine device used by Doctor Who. Uh, your acronym, uh, TARDIS, what does it stand for? And then you can explain how this thing operates. Uh, my, my TARDIS, the acronym is Traversable Acausal Retrograde Domains in Space-Time. And all that means, there are a bunch of technical words from, from the type of physics I do. All it means is it's a, it's a little patch, it's a little area, it's a box, essentially. And if you go inside the box, people from the outside will say, hey, that box is moving faster than the speed of light at times, and it's going backwards in time at other times. So that's what the acronym means. It's a box that travels through time. So... Our mathematical model is of a box where if somebody goes into the box, they can travel in a circle in space and time. Time is the important thing. It travels in a circle in space in that it moves forward and backwards, but it also goes in a loop in time, which means that it ends up at the moment it began its journey. And uh, you, you also describe how the, uh, the TARDIS... Uh, would move backwards and forwards, but also it would move, I guess, periodically to the side. And the reason for that is we ha- if you were inside the box, y- y- inside the TARDIS, you'd have to get out of your own way as you're coming and going. Of course. Of course. I mean, there's, 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 uh, in, in every aspect uh, of this mathematical model, there, there is a physical presence. There's a box. It has an outside. Um, it can't pass through itself. Uh, and so it would have to move out of its own way to keep from colliding with itself. It, it can't, yeah. And so, and this uh, TARDIS uh, is enclosed inside of a bubble, which would, be comp- which would be made up of this exotic matter? Is that the idea? That, that's essentially the idea, yeah. Okay, so um, describe what one, th- this was a fascinating part of the, the discussion we had last night, and we had two hours, but tonight we have about 15 minutes, but... Um, <laughs> we, the, describe what someone, a passenger inside the TARDIS would see and would experience. Okay, so let's imagine that, that a person inside the, the TARDIS, uh, you, you step into the TARDIS and you're wearing a wristwatch, and outside of the TARDIS there is a, a clock tower, say, and so you can look at the clock outside. Now, as your box goes in a loop in space and time, there's a period where it's moving forward in time, and another part where it's moving backwards in time. So if you were to look outside at the clock tower, you would see the hands of the clock moving clockwise as time moved forward in the same direction as your forward time. And then you would see the hands of the clock moving backwards. And the hands of the clock would go for, sorry, uh, clockwise and counterclockwise. So first they'd move clockwise, then they'd move counterclockwise periodically as you went around the circle. The, the fun part of this is that you would, you would look out the window and you would see another version of your TARDIS box and inside the other version of the TARDIS box, you'd see another version of you uh, standing there. Only the neat thing is the other version of you has time going backwards. So uh, the, the, the funnest way to illustrate this is to imagine that you're inside the box and you're making breakfast. Right. So you're pouring co- cream into your coffee and stirring it up, uh, or, and you're cracking an egg into a skillet and you're frying the egg. And uh, those are both um, irreversible uh, interactions in physics. You can't un, un, 
you know, uncrack an egg. It, it looks very strange. Right. Anyway, so you are making your breakfast, and you look through your window of your TARDIS box, and you see through the, the window of the other TARDIS box your doppelganger, someone who looks just like you, but they're making breakfast in reverse. So they're uh, maybe unmaking breakfast Correct. the phrase. They're uncracking their eggs, putting the eggs from the pans, unfrying them and putting them back in their shell. They're pulling the cream out of their coffee. Everything you did is happening in reverse in, in, your, uh, in your alternate box. Your doppelganger is doing it in the opposite order. Fascinating. Time is, the orientation of time in the other box is reversed compared to your own. Um, so if uh, another observer were looking at this uh, TARDIS, mm-hmm. would they see it moving? They would. Actually, so they would see there, – there's a couple things they would see. The first thing they would see is they would see two versions of the box, okay? Right. And you, I guess, the person making breakfast would be in both of them. And in one of them, they would see time moving forwards. So they would see the person cracking an egg into the pan. And in the other one, they would see time moving backwards. So they, the, 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 the other version of you would be pulling the cream out of the milk. But notably, uh, those two versions of you are essentially uh, two locations where your timeline is intersecting uh, the, the current time, um, the, the external observer's current time. Um, and so, so what's going on here is one of them is you when you're moving forward on one side of the circle, and the other version is you going backwards in time on the other side of the journey. Um, and so you would, the person outside the box is going to see the two boxes moving. Um, in this case where the, the whole thing's going in a circle and ending up exactly where it began, uh, these two versions, these two boxes are going to appear out of nowhere and accelerate away from each other, slow down and stop. And maybe they'll see you uh, walk, op- open the door and walk in, get in, someone get in one side. And maybe they'll see another version of you get out uh, of the same side. And then the door will close. And the two versions of the box will accelerate together, collide, and disappear. Amazing. And they'll stop existing <laughs> in your universe. As, as, far as, you, the exter- as, as far as the external observer is concerned, there's no trace of you. Because essentially what's happened is your box is turned around in time and is now moving backwards in time. <laughs> Dr. Ben Tippett is uh, with us, theoretical physicist from the University of British Columbia, and he has crunched the numbers and says time travel uh, to the past is possible, at least mathematically, not necessarily yeah. likely because we have to discover or create this exotic matter uh, which would essentially be the, uh, the medium or the, the vehicle that would transport his TARDIS device uh, to the past. Any limitations on how far back you could travel uh, well, in a particular time or location? This is, this is, a, this is an interesting issue because um, you know how I said there's, there's one version of you where time, if you're inside the box, uh, you're, let's say you, Richard, are traveling backwards in time. Um, there's going to be a second version of, of the box where you're going backwards in time. Yeah? Right. Uh, that box has to exist for the whole journey. There's, there's no point where it ceases existing. Um, so so uh, technically, there's no limit to how far back you can go. But in this mathematical scenario, it's not possible to change the past. And that means that if you did take this journey back, there would be, say, say you wanted to go back to ancient Greece. There would be a historical record of this box with a person sitting inside of it where the person kept making breakfast in reverse order. And that box had, had sat around, say, uh, medieval Europe for thousands of years. Let Aristotle uh, uh, figure that one out, yes. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. We we would have in modern day records of Aristotle writing about how the strange boxes sat sat motionless for thousands and thousands of years. So uh, the long and the story short is, uh, you your box is always existing over the course of its journey in space and time. And so uh, if your box if if your box if there's no historical record of your box going there, then I, because you can't rewrite the past, uh, that, that particular journey is probably not possible. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, yeah, as we can see, I mean, y- you figured out the mathematical formula, but there are so many other variables. As someone in the, uh, my, my live chat here has mentioned, and someone on Coast to Coast mentioned last night, location, because you've got the Earth spinning around. You have the planets spinning around. You've got the galaxy moving around. I mean, how... How is it possible to ensure that you will actually arrive at the precise location where you want to be without, you know, ending up somewhere out in space? Well, this particular uh, method for going backwards in time, um, it's not... Uh, because your box is always somewhere, it's, it's mathematically possible to, to, to mm, generate a model where it sits on Earth in spite of the fact that the Earth is moving around the sun and the sun is moving around the galaxy etc. Uh, but that's not exactly the model we've done. In, in, in the model, the mathematical model we built, um, it consists of a box out in space where there's nothing, just going in a circle in time. And so um, it's, it's actually much more complicated to, to add in all this rotation and, and, and proper motion if we're going to keep your box on Earth for the journey. But it's, it's mathematically feasible Given the the technique we use to to put it out in space, I just it's just easier to analyze if it's out in space. And we really wanted to do an analysis that was as simple as possible that would recognize the strengths and weaknesses of this particular mathematical model uh, that didn't get gummed up on additional complicated details. So it's mathematically possible to set one that sits on Earth and goes back in time uh, to ancient Greece. Sure. You could do that. It's just a lot of work, and I didn't want to do the work. (laughs) I admire your candor, sir. Dr. Ben Tippett (laughs) is a theoretical physicist from the University of British Columbia. We should also mention your podcast. That's available at the website titaniumphysics.com, correct? That's right. It's the Titanium Physicist Podcast. You can look for it on uh, iTunes if you want. Just Google Titanium Physics. All right. Something also you mentioned very. I love the way that you use movies, uh, sort of t- um, movie uh, summaries, to to demonstrate your point or to illustrate your point. And uh, we we have sort of the uh, the Back to the Future version of time travel to the past, and then we have the Twelve Monkeys version. Uh, explain. Sure. Explain. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... <laughs> The wonderful thing about time travel, ever since H.G. Wells, people have been discussing in fiction what it's going to look like. And as a result, we have a whole library of metaphors of storylines that people have watched and are familiar with that we can use to distinguish when we're explaining to people what, what, what time travel entails in this case. Um, so, in my field, if you're going to t- talk about time travel, in the, it's the field of general relativity, Einstein's theory of four-dimensional curved space-times. In this field, backwards time travel is mathematically possible, but if it happens, it has to obey something called the Novikov self-consistency condition. This came out in the 90s, I think, by a, a Russian, uh, a Soviet physicist named Novikov. 
And uh, the idea is that you can't change the past. If you go back in the past, you can interact with things, you can eat all the apples you want, you can stomp all the butterflies you want, but doing so will not change history. In fact, your having gone into the past is, will be part of history. It's already baked so, into the equation, right. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, and so the, the best way to explain this is in, in terms of movies. So like you said, uh, Back to the Future is the time travel movie that everybody loves. It's the one I loved the most when I was a kid. We all love it. And in it, Marty McFly is not allowed to change the past too much because if he does, he writes out his own existence. That's right? the grandfather paradox. That's called the grandfather paradox. You can't, in the paradox... Uh, if causality is to be assumed, if free will is to be assumed, you should be able to go back in time and, you know, kill your own grandparents. Just if about you ex- do, you will stop so, existing. Sorry, Ben, yeah. we're just about out of time here. Very oh, quick, no. in 20 seconds or less, the 12 monkeys scenario. 12 monkeys, the guy, Brad Pitt, uh, he gets sent back in time uh, to catch, because when he was a kid, he saw this, this, some person who was partially responsible for this big flag, but it turns out he was chasing his own future self. In essence, uh, you can end up with loops causal loops in time, but you can't change the past. That's where we're stuck in, in our uh, theory of time travel. Dr. Ben Tippett, again, uh, titaniumphysics.com. Titaniumphysics.com is the website, and uh, congratulations on this paper, and thanks for spending some time with us. Love to have you back on. You're a fascinating guy. Well done. (laughs) Thank you very much. Dr. Ben Tippett. All right, when we come back, the big reveal, what's in the box? And uh, what else do we have going on? Oh, the doomsday machine. Dead hand. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show and uh, the launch of our brand new format. Hope you're enjoying it. And uh, we will, let's see, second hour of the program at the top of the hour, open line, so keep that in mind. And then uh, towards the tail end of the show, uh, we will speak with Dave Schock, uh, the man behind uh, CubeSat 4 Disclosure. This is a uh, a mini-satellite, low-Earth orbiting satellite that will hunt for UFOs. And Dave launched the crowdfunding campaign to raise money. They, they have that in place, and uh, we'll find out more. When will this be uh, launched? Uh, that's exciting news. So uh, it is time for our reveal, uh, What's in the Box? And uh, we ask you to use the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, and then use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS as in The Conspiracy Show. And uh, why don't we go around the horn here and uh, those assembled. First of all, on the other side of the glass, Ian Robertson, my technical producer. Ian, what's in the box, my friend? Uh, I'm seeing something round. Something round? But, but flat also. Like, I guess like a pancake shape. Round and flat. Do you have, <laughs> then, is it, do you have a color in mind? Yeah, I, I see a bit of white and a bit of red. White, red, round, flat. I guess it could be one of those mint candies. 
a mint candy. Ooh, all right. Okay, so I like, uh, you know, I like the detail that you bring to the table. <laughs> all right, let's go to uh, Albert Venzel, my story producer. Well, my mind keeps going back to stuff you've had in the box before, like a yo-yo or the stuffed toy unicorn. <laughs> it's probably not right either time, but uh, it's just a blank after that. Need to get in a more still state, more relaxed. A yo-yo. Is that okay? And uh, finally, over to you, Ryan. Well, kind of like Ian, I was thinking something round, but maybe a, a coin or some currency. All right. Uh, not, none of you are on uh, on the mark, I'm afraid to say. Let's see. Uh, let's go to the Twitter feed. Daniel says, uh, I see a, ch- a chain links, like in a keychain. Uh, let's see. We have uh, John Porter, a silver medallion the size of a silver dollar. Uh, let's see. What's uh, Who else? We have um, uh, cards, a hula girl, something tropical. Hector says the boy the box contains a toy. Uh, deplorable artist says I know it's an Alexander the Great drachma circa. Oh, that's an old one. Sorry, these are some of these are old. Um, let's see what else do we have. A glue stick from Aaron. I'm sorry. Let's do the reveal, ladies and gentlemen. We need a drum roll next time. We blew our budget. Okay, there it is. It's a banana. A banana. That's what I had for breakfast this morning. So I just threw the other one in the box, and there you go. Okay, we will um, we'll, uh, come back next week, or no, two weeks from now, actually. No, there's no what's in the box next week. The following week, we will resume our remote viewing experiment. All right, now we're going to institute a, a brand new segment on the program, although from time to time we do read emails and tweets and so forth. Uh, but we are going to uh, try and do this every week. So let's go into the, uh, the mailbag and uh, Albert Vinzel. What do we have, uh, Albert? Oh, your microphone. There we go. Uh, the first one is from Scott, and we won't use the last name, but he's listening in Southern California. And he says, I was listening to your recent show on turmeric, which I've used daily for years. Oh, turmeric. That was with uh, Dr. Cass Ingram. Yes. Right. And I thought a discussion on medical cannabis would be interesting. We are fortunate to have one of the top MDs in the world who's a uh, in the practical use of cannabis here in SoCal. Her name is Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. This is a link to her current book. She helped my former assistant with breast cancer. In complete, it's in complete remission of only six weeks of using medical cannabis. Um, another one from... Oh, uh, let, me just, let me just jump in on okay. that. Uh, first of all, uh, a turmeric. I, I should mention... Uh, that Dr. Cass Ingram was uh, kind enough to send some uh, my way. And my, my mother-in-law, I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning this, uh, she's been in some uh, some pain, and uh, she she has uh, experienced some relief from it. That's simply anecdotal evidence that I'm throwing out there. But um, uh, so turmeric, uh, for those who didn't hear the show, obviously, I mean, it's one of the active uh, sort of ingredients in, in curry dishes, and it's enjoyed, obviously, by... Uh, many people in in, uh, in in Asia and elsewhere. Anyone who enjoys Indian cuisine, and um, it's a it's an amazing antioxidant and um, an anti-inflammatory, and a lot of people swear by it. So people with arthritis and so forth. Uh, so turmeric, turmeric, um, and there there are there are many many um, peer-reviewed studies that have been done on this, and um, so check it out at your at your health food store now. Medical marijuana. We have done a number of shows on that, and I'm certainly not uh, opposed to doing some more. So uh, keep that number, that name of that doctor in Southern California on file, Albert, and maybe we'll reach out. Bonnie Goldstein. All right. Uh, Okay. Uh, There's another email. Her first name is Mimi, 
And I think it's probably because of the elections today in France. But she writes, it seems like George Soros has an evil ambition to control the world and with a one-world government. He has influence on U.S. elections and links to the ultra-secretive Bilderberg group, a spider web of evil goings-on. Do you dare to unveil all of this on your program? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, we've talked about George Soros, haven't we? Daniel Esseling. Yeah, we've yes. done the Bilderbergs many times. <laughs> well, we've talked about the Bilderbergs, and I don't think we've done a show specifically about George Soros, but his name comes up often on the program. And, of course, uh, he, I mean, he's, he's a huge hedge fund guy worth you know, more money than God and has thrown that money in behind a number of NGOs, uh, the Open Society, for example. He is seen as sort of the man that orchestrated or at least helped fund what are called these color revolutions that took place you know, during the, during the Arab Spring. And uh, some even suggest that he is behind, in part, this huge migrant crisis in Europe. It's not about helping refugees. It's about importing low-wage workers in order to keep the EU afloat. Uh, and uh, certainly he has been behind many of the demonstrations uh, the anti-Trump demonstrations in the United States and, and some of the college demonstrations and the violence that has erupted there, uh, the left, uh, resorting to some very violent tactics. So George Soros, names come, his name comes up a lot, and maybe we will do that. Is it Mimi? We'll dedicate a, a show, and we'll do uh, the entire, not an entire show, but we'll do a segment on George Soros. Thank you for that. We'll uh, take a time out when we come back. The Russian doomsday device. They developed back in the, uh, the former Soviet Union in the 80s, and they still have it. You'll learn about the weapon codenamed Dead Hand next, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. i got to get my glasses uh, fixed. I missed this on Twitter. Uh, Heidi and her husband uh, correctly identified the object in the box, and she, uh, she tweeted this 41 minutes ago. She said, my husband and I think it's a banana. So, Heidi, you are the winner, and uh, please get in touch with us. Uh, send me an email through the website, and uh, we will... Um, send you out some lovely conspiracy show merchandise and you can check out the online store t-shirts mugs phone cases and so forth theconspiracyshow.com theconspiracyshow.com and you, and uh, find the uh, the online store Heidi congratulations well done you see for those who don't believe in the power of remote viewing we've had winners like the last two or three weeks I think haven't we gentlemen I think so. All right. Uh, if you've seen the Stanley Kubrick uh, film, and certainly one of my faves, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, you're familiar with the concept 
of a doomsday device or beneath the planet of the apes. Do you remember that? Um, the idea is you have this ultimate nuclear weapon that guarantees nuclear devastation and retaliation if someone launches a, an attack against you. Well, the Soviet Union apparently developed such a device back in the mid-1980s, and by all accounts, it is still operational. It goes by the chilling codename Dead Hand. Here to tell us more is Jason Torchinsky. He's the senior editor of Jalopnik.com, and he joins us, I believe, from Los Angeles. Jason, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you. All right, so the idea of a doomsday device. One, one might say, well, wait a minute. The, the Russians have more nuclear bombs than they know what to do with. In the United States, the same. We've got uh, submarines with nukes. We've got ballistic missiles uh, with nukes. Don't we already have doomsday devices? How is this well, different? Yeah, here's, here's what's different. We both, have, you know, we both have weapons capable of destroying you know, everything that makes civilization possible and many times over. Exactly. But that's not exactly what a doomsday device is. Um, and the reason why this doomsday, doomsday device exists at all has to do with what you mentioned before, with the, the submarine launch capability. And I'll explain. So basically, the way conventionally uh, and a, a nuclear war would be expected is we'd be using ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, which would be a missile that would be launched from uh, one country. It would make a parabolic, uh, you know, not quite in orbit. It would just go into space in a parabolic arc and then come down on the other country. With multiple warheads. Multiple warheads. But yeah. the thing about these is um, these launches are detectable, and in conventional, well, whatever you would call it, conventional nuclear warfare, you'd be able to tell, and then you'd probably have about 30 minutes of advance warning before those warheads came raining down, making everything miserable for you. Right. So that's how it conventionally is. However, once uh, the U.S. started to actually have uh, submarine-based nuclear missiles, tridents and things like that, they did that before the Soviets had them. That meant that the 30-minute warning could no longer be counted on because a submarine-launched missile could be very close to the Soviet Union. It could have launched missiles, and the amount of warning they would have would be minutes at best. You know, it would be in a tiny amount of time that would not allow them to work up any retaliatory strike. Right, so that, that, now, that, uh, yeah. the strategic uh, advantage throws the whole mutually agreed destruction or assured destruction yeah. thing out the window and causes exactly. a serious – you know, it's very unstable, that type of situation. Exactly. So when, when both sides know they can destroy each other, then basically nothing happens because it's not worth it to anybody. But once one side gets an advantage like that, then hypothetically the U.S. would have a first-strike advantage to such a degree over the Soviet Union that it, you know, they could actually defeat them. Um, now, the Soviets realized this, and the Soviets didn't have, uh, at the time, didn't have submarine-launched missiles available. So they needed, they needed some way to get back to that stalemate, some way to get back to the mutually assured, assured destruction, which basically is what was keeping that Cold War peace going for so long. So Dead Hand was kind of the result of that, was, was the end result of their goal there. And if you think about it, so it is technically, I guess, what we would consider a doomsday device. But as we talk about it, I think you may come to realize it's, it's a good thing. As strange as it is to say, uh, what Dead Hand ends up doing is actually probably a net positive for everybody. So here's the way it works. Um, the dead hand system, uh, or they call it the perimeter system, technically in Russia, like system perimeter, um, it's, 
it assumes okay so it, it checks for some certain criteria uh meaning the a first strike against the soviet union so it's going to try to see it's going to use seismic event it's going to check you know a number of different factors to see if there's actually been a nuclear strike and then it's going to basically see if you can call home to the soviet head command of everything and see if there's a phone a line open you know, like a communication line right open. so it's fully automatic this thing to a degree not entirely it's partially it's sort of automatic basically as soon as it's not always on but as soon as things get a little weirder tense uh it can be turned on like so now <laughs> like now okay let's say like hypothetically like now somebody may have turned the switch for dead hand on so dead hand is now active um if it meet so it's going to look for criteria like did a bomb hit do we have seismic activity are we getting radiation levels and then it's going to check do i have a communications line to head to the, the command center and if it does it's not going to do anything because they're still there if it doesn't if that line is dead then it's going to assume the worst has happened you know the it's been decapitation type strike where the soviet command is gone and then the then the system goes to – there's a special bunker. It's probably the best protected place in case of a nuclear war anywhere in the world where there's some poor bastard is sitting there working, and it's their job to decide go or no go. Um, so it's not 100 percent automatic. It basically, it can give control over everything to one person who skips the entire chain of command. So all this one person has to do is say, we've been hit, it, we're, we're, you know, we're boned. And let's do something about it. And if they say yes, then what happens is because the main control system is gone, a rocket is launched that instead of having a warhead has a radiation-hardened radio transmitting system. And this rocket basically flies over the Soviet Union, broadcasting out uh, the launch commands to whatever's left, to whatever's available to launch and go to a preset of targets. So basically, it's a way to guarantee, no matter what happens, if the entire... You know, Kremlin and Politburo and everybody is, all of Moscow is wiped out. There's always a way for a retaliatory strike to happen, no matter what. Right. Because there's one guy in a bumper just has to say, yes, he's protected, and then the radio, the radio broadcasting rocket flies out, all the missiles fly back, and all of a sudden we're back at nobody wins. Jason, destruction. Jason Torchinsky is with us. He's the senior editor at Jalopnik.com. Uh, and... Uh, so when we think of a doomsday device, I mentioned uh, – well, you, you, you write about uh, uh, Kubrick's um, yes. uh, Dr. Strangelove and I mentioned uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. You know, this, we often think of a doomsday device as just that one sort of device. It's this huge yeah. mother Big of a – glowing orb and exactly. coming out of it. But, yeah, wires. But, yeah. but, but, but Dead Hand is, is not actually just one device. It's kind of a whole system, isn't it? It is. It's a system. There are specific devices towards it. That rocket that – you know, broadcast the commanding rocket. rocket. Yeah, yeah, the commanding rocket that only exists in the context of something like this. Uh, the U.S. had a similar version of that kind of thing too. Um, so that's you know, but but as far as like one device, that's not really the case. It's basically, you know, a system of devices, and it's using the existing nuclear infrastructure uh, to achieve its goals. But here's the thing about it, and this is what makes it really interesting. Um, what Dead Hand actually ends up doing is it gives, it gives the people who are actually in charge and making these decisions like some breathing room. It actually lets them relax. Because once Dead Hand is activated, which you do early on in, in the, in, you know, when things are getting tense, they activate Dead Hand. 
And then from that moment on, that means no matter what happens, somebody's going to get theirs if the, if the Soviet Union or, I guess, now Russia is gone. So they have, so like, they 15 have minutes to, to an hour, and then they can override it and turn it off if, right. they, did, if they so choose. Exactly. Yeah, and that 15 minutes to an hour thing, uh, that criteria only is activated if the line to central command is dead. So as long as it can talk, as long as it can call home, it's not going to do anything because there's still, that says there's still an organization in place to make the actual decision. When that line goes dead, that's when the timer counts down, 15 minutes to an hour. I don't really know what it's set to. But um, from that point on, uh, after that period of time, which would give someone a last chance to like say, no, 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 you know, cut it off. Uh, from that period of time, that's when the person in the shielded bunker can decide to, you know, lay waste to everybody. So what it does is, in times of tension, instead of the Soviets feeling like, or I guess the Russians now, feeling like they have to act, they absolutely have to act and act fast because they have to, they feel like they may have to make a decision rapidly because thanks to submarine-launched missile, it may not have time to retaliate. This takes away all that pressure. They can take their time. They can take a moment, breathe, look at the is your side of it's real, decide it's worth it, all the time knowing, no matter what happens. Okay, we're, we're kind of losing you, Jason. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, your cell phone is cutting out or your Skype. Jason Torchinsky, senior editor at Jalopnik. Let me spell that for you, jalopnik.com, J-A-L-O-P-N-I-K.com, jalopnik.com, and he is writing well, about... a car set. <laughs> yes, I, I gathered that, but this is an interesting uh, sort of departure for you. You're writing about this doomsday device developed by the Soviet Union in the mid-'80s, yeah. still operational. We're just about out of time, but typically when we think of a doomsday device, it's something that you want the world to know about uh, yeah. because you don't want them to try anything silly or foolish. And yet the this wasn't really known until it was kind of leaked by a, a former Soviet colonel, right? What's the point of yeah. keeping something like this secret? Well, it's, the thing is, it's a little different than the Dr. Strangelove type, because as we were saying just before, its goal is less about making other countries think twice as much as it is about making the Soviets and now Russians think twice. As much as it's, you know, even though it's very similar to a traditional doomsday machine in that, you know, if you attack us, there will be an automatic retribution, their goal is a little different. Their goal is for their... It's internal. It's to let their own people relax and know they can take the time to make a smart decision and you don't have to worry about an immediate retaliation because you think this might be your last chance. There There's you go. always another chance. Dead hand, the Soviet doomsday device. Who would have thought? A, a reasoned, very pragmatic and practical yeah. approach uh, to sort yeah. of redressing the imbalance in nuclear war capability and uh, bringing back mutually agree- assured destruction. Uh, Jason Torchinsky, senior editor at jalopnik.com. Thank you so much. We'll have you again, Jason. You were terrific. Yeah, I appreciate it. You guys have a great night. All right. Ahead in the second hour, open lines. Let me give you the phone numbers, 416-360-0740-866-740-4740. Open lines next on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. 
Thanks for inviting me into your home, long haul truck, RV camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. As always, a special how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto. AM 740 and 96.7 FM, all of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations. The podcasts, of course, the live YouTube stream. And, and incidentally, please subscribe to the, uh, the YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hi to all of you who take the, uh, the show with you on your mobile device with the Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app, both free downloads. Wherever and however you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcome, welcomes, and I thank you for your fine uh, company. Open lines now until the bottom of the hour. We are instituting this as a, uh, what we hope will be a permanent fixture if it works out well. And uh, we'll do that every week, except for next week. Things are going to be mixed up a little bit next week, but then the following week and then hopefully thereafter. Uh, our new format, which we launched tonight, will be in place. I hope you're enjoying it. Let me give you the numbers. 416. This is the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from just about anywhere. one 866 740 Four seven forty one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Incidentally, next week on the program, again we will deviate from the new format. We just launched it, and then we're going to change it. Sorry about that; couldn't be helped. But next week, uh, Les Caston will be on the program, and uh, he's written a number of books, uh, Alien Agenda, and so forth. This one, or Alien Alien World Order, I believe, uh, we're going to talk about the reptilians. Fascinating, fascinating topic. The reptilians uh, with Les Caston and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, will be with us. And then James Conner, who is um, taking part in this um, March Against Monsanto that's happening here in Toronto and around the world, I believe. So we'll talk about uh, GMOs with James Conner as well. That's next week on the program. Uh, And then just a heads up, coming up after the, uh, the bottom of the hour, uh, we will speak with Dave Shock. I'm not sure if you've heard about this. It's called CubeSat for Disclosure. This is a, uh, a mini-satellite, low-Earth orbit satellite. The idea is they're going to launch it, this group, uh, that Dave Shock is spearheading, and it'll be used to hunt for UFOs or any other space anomalies. And Dave um, organized this crowdfunding Got them, and he raised the money, and they're actually going to launch this satellite. We'll find out more from Dave Shock at the uh, the bottom of the hour. Uh, right now, oh, and again, congratulations to uh, to Heidi and her husband, uh, who successfully identified what's in the box—a remote viewing experiment. And uh, I'm sorry, I missed it. Uh, they sent it to me on Twitter, used the hashtag, and they did everything they were supposed to do, and then I just completely botched it and, uh, and and skipped right over their tweet. But I went back, I found it, and uh, they identified our object, which again was banana. There you go. All right, let us go to the phones and uh, let's say hi to Earl, who's joining us from Oakville. Earl, hello. Hi, Richard. I'd like to talk about vampires. I had an experience in 1989. I went to St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I couldn't sleep that week. And I, I knew there was a presence around me. And then uh, um, I felt like I was being attacked by something. It was invisible. I couldn't see it. 
but I felt I was bitten by something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I started to um, hallucinate, you know? And that got me to thinking, wow, well, man, this is something strange going on here. I ended up in the hospital. I was sick, and I ended up in the hospital. And they ran a bunch of tests on me, and they, you know what the diagnosis was? Unknown. Did you have any bite marks on you? No, I, I just felt a sharp pain in the back of my neck. In the back of your neck? Yeah, in Interesting. the back of my neck. Is it possible you, you um, I don't know, uh, you were bitten by a mosquito or a spider? It's possible. It's a possible. spider venom possible. or something? But, you know, um, I um, I was admitted to hospital, and I, I um, they thought I was possessed, you know? Hmm. Because you were hallucinating. Because you were hallucinating. Yeah. And you were behaving so erratically. I was behaving irrationally. And, mm-hmm. and I went off the, uh, I was in the hospital at the time, and I went off the property. I was smoking back then. I had smoked cigarettes. I stopped smoking a long time ago. Right. And um, they thought, uh, they called the police on me, and uh, they said they have to bring him back to the hospital, you know. So, but I never did find out what the hell the problem was. Well, had it been a had it been a spider or something, they would have found the uh, the, yeah, the bite yeah, marks, yeah. and then, and they found but nothing. I was I was you know, and I became very sensitive to light, fluorescent light. Interesting. Uh, I couldn't, you know, it felt like a laser beam cutting through me, you know. Right, right. And I mean, it was a hell of an experience. Get the hell out of me. Huh. So, and uh, but to this day, I can't explain it. Well, I have uh, I've had a lifelong fascination with uh, vampires. One of yeah. my earliest memories, Earl, was being taken to the the drive-in theater in Brantford. Yeah. Uh, this would have been back in the late '60s. Yeah. And uh, back in those days, I mean, you know, my parents they didn't have money for babysitters, so if they wanted to yeah. go out and see yeah. a movie, they took us with us, and they yeah. we all piled into the back of our 1966 or six, it was a '62 Valiant station wagon, and we headed off to the uh, the Breezes Drive-in in Brantford, because my parents wanted to see it was a Debbie Reynolds Dick Van Dyke movie called Divorce American Style. Ah, yeah, I think I've seen that. Film. And so the idea was they put it. We had a little like kind of a, a big cushiony pad in the back, and we were all supposed to sort of you know sleep. Uh, fall asleep. The older kids could watch the movie. I was too young. But the trailer, the trailer that came on before Divorce American Style stuck with me for the next 40 years of my life. And it was um, it was called The Queen of Blood. Yeah. I was a, a female vampire in outer space. And I, that trailer, two-minute trailer, stayed with me, as I say, for the next 40 years and haunted my, my dreams. And I had dreams yeah. about, you know, bloodsuckers from outer space. And... Yeah. Uh, I've uh, been fascinated with vampires, all the Hammer films yeah, and all of that. Yeah, this happened in Oakville uh, when I was admitted to the hospital, wow. and I and I went to it. People were scared of me, you know, and 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 said, what the heck is going on with this guy? I was making noises, and I, to this day I can still do that. I, I'll give you an example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Earl, do you think yeah. you're a vampire? Do you suspect you, know, you might be? I, no, I don't know. Uh, something, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I take medication, um, Richard. Okay. And um, I, but uh, well, I mean, um, it's uh, something that I can do, but I don't suck blood or anything like that. That's you know? good to know. Well, yeah. Earl, thank you for checking in. Listen, I believe, I good, always good to hear, hear from you, Earl. Hope we'll hear from you again. I, I, um, I believe in energy vampires. I mean, you know, people, you know, you know who they are, right? You've been affected by an energy vampire. They walk in the room. It's someone you know. They might be nice people. 
They might be a nice person, but for whatever reason, when you're around them, they drain you. Do you know what I'm talking about, Ian? Do you know somebody like that? Albert, do you know? Do you have any energy vampires in your life? Yeah, just feel more tired usually than than normal. When you hang around them. Yeah. Yeah, that's an energy vampire. How about you, Ryan? Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's not like they're, they're, they're necessarily bad people. They can be. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, they don't even, they're not even aware of it. So I believe in energy vampires. Do I believe in reanimated corpses uh, that walk the night looking for human blood? Not as, no, no, I don't. Although I did, I did happen to, um, I traveled to England, to the south of England, and I interviewed his, now uh, Bishop Manchester, Bishop Sean Manchester, um, who claims to be a descendant of uh, Lord Byron. I have no cause to doubt him. It's quite possible. Very fascinating individual. And he was involved in the famous Highgate vampire case that took place in London. The people were hysterical. They believed there was a vampire running around in London in 1969. And he claimed that he was one that that destroyed the vampire. You know, stake through the heart, that whole thing. Fascinating. All right. uh, Let's see. We will say hi. We're going to go out to Mr. and Mrs. Saga and uh, say hi to Drew. Drew, good uh, good evening well, or good e- good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Good evening, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So, um, you might know the name because I totally forget the name, but you did have a guest on your show a few years ago regarding uh, poltergeists. All right. And um, guess um, causing mischief and you know hidden keys stuff like that. Could have been Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I mean, she's it, on regularly. It, it might have been. Mm-hmm. Ha- however, during your airing of that show, I was listening live on an old-fashioned radio mm-hmm. with a physical switch plugged into the wall. Nothing with a battery or a touch screen, nothing like that. But while you were diving into that topic, and it frightened me a lot, the physical switch turned off. Whoa. So maybe you said something, maybe the guest said something that irritated something in the house. Quite possibly. N- nothing has happened since and uh, I was discussing this with a few friends uh, a couple days ago regarding like ghost stories and experiences. And I always thought they were full of nonsense, you know. But until it happens story, to you, yes, that one instant that it happened to me, it it stuck with me to this day, and I just wanted to share that with you. I appreciate that, Drew. Um, yeah. Thank you. You know, sort of in a related vein, whenever I have not whenever, but oftentimes when I have Rosemary on the show, and we talk about things like that. There is some glitch. Uh, either her phone goes dead or there's interference or sometimes uh, on occasion I have to pre-record my interview with Rosemary because she's not going to be available live at that time and we have difficulty connecting with her. Or we get her on, the line drops off, something goes, you know, the computer goes kaplooey. It, it, it happens often enough, particularly when we're talking about things like poltergeist or the Ouija board or that, any of that kind of uh, paranormal stuff. So, uh, yeah, it, it does, <laughs> it makes you think. And here's the thing, you know, I, I talk about this stuff on the air all the time, but I've, I've had one paranormal experience my entire life, never seen a UFO. You know, I don't see ghosts. I, I, I may have seen something 30 some years ago, but that's it. Um, but um, when people tell me about things that happened to them, and you can see the sincerity. They're either Academy Award-winning actors or they are being genuine. They experience something. What that something is, not 100% sure, uh, but um, uh, I believe you. 
I believe that happened. Thank you. Uh, William is here in uh, Toronto. William, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. What's on your mind? Hello, Richard. Uh, I'd like to talk about electron, electro, there's a big long title here, electromagnetic microwave voice to skull mind control by remote control, by remote satellite surveillance. William, we're going to do that. We've got the music creeping up, which means it's time to take a time out. Hold on to the line, William. We will talk about mind control on this program. If you've got a line, hold on to it. If not, jump on board, 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Open lines till the bottom of the hour. And then for the last half hour of the program, Dave Schock will be with us. Cube Sat for Disclosure. And this is a, uh, a mini-satellite, low-Earth orbit satellite, uh, to be launched, and uh, it's designed to hunt for UFOs and other space anomalies. And Dave Schock was the uh, sort of spearheaded a crowdfunding campaign. They have raised the money to launch this satellite. We'll find out more uh, after the bottom of the hour. Right now, again, open lines till the bottom of the hour. William joins us from Toronto. Wanted to talk about mind control. You mentioned voice to skull, William. Uh, are you? Do you believe you are a victim? Yeah, I was until I figured out how to how to handle it. Uh, there's all kinds of these thoughts uh, being zapped into my mind, and I, I, I said to myself, these are not my thoughts. Uh, where are these things coming from? No one's going to believe a thing I say unless I do some research. And I did some research, and I came up with all kinds of things. When did this be- begin for you, William? Um, th- this began about three years ago after my, my wife uh, passed away. And uh, and probably a little bit before then. So you you would you you don't hear voices. You just you have these thoughts that pop into your mind. Yeah, these they're zapped in there, and they're not my thoughts. What were they? What were they? What were these thoughts? Were they asking you to hurt yourself? Or no, nothing of the sort. Other people have had those those thoughts. My thoughts were uh, uh, to be congenial and. and, uh, to be complacent and not to speak about these kind of things. Hmm. When did you begin to suspect that you may have been that you were being targeted? Um, a gang stock targeted person is uh, that's another issue, and, and that's uh, uh, happening to me as well. Um, uh, I knew about the gang stock uh, targeting person about three years ago. Yeah, about about three years ago. No, but when did you begin to suspect that these? thoughts that were being zapped into your head were the result of you being targeted. Okay. 
because the thoughts that were coming into my head were not my own. Right. Uh, and 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 I said to myself, I don't think like this. Where is these? Where are these right. thoughts coming from? Uh, an example is uh, uh, I write a lot of uh, music and lyrics and poetry, and some of the poems I came up with. Uh, I wasn't writing them. I wrote them so fast, and uh, uh, they were not my words. They were just coming from uh, some, some evil, I call it an evil sickness uh, source. Fascinating. And um, I, I wrote about 15 of those poems. They were so horrific. I, I threw. I just kept one. I threw out the rest. And um, This is not me, I said, said to myself. So I, I better do some research and find out what it is. Where did you go for your research? Uh, I went to the internet. I went to YouTube and uh, and found out uh, see what I can find there. Uh, my view of YouTube is ninety percent is not quite right, and ten percent is fairly good. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's yeah. a good ratio. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. I found a few authors. If I could mention those, sure. Yeah, uh, one is a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. John R. Hall. He wrote a book on all of this kind of uh, surveillance. Uh, he's not a psychologist. He's a, he's a pain, he's a medical doctor, but he specializes in, in, uh, in pain management. But, but he also is an expert on, on this. Yes, uh, he is. He's, uh, I know John very well. And oh, you he, do? Okay, very yeah. good. And then you, you know the other guy, too, uh, the Dr. Uh, Colin Bross. I don't know him, but well, actually, no, I have met him down in he, Texas. He, in, yeah, uh, he's in, a Canadian. And he has his business down in Texas, and he speaks in Toronto fairly often. Yes, I know Colin. I've had him on my TV show and on the radio show. There you go. I missed out on that. And um, he has a new book uh, coming out in in a few months ago in March, he said he was. So you were able to stop these thoughts. How did you do it? uh, Build a Faraday cage, or what did you do? No, I I went. I I said, okay, uh, I'm a part-time Christian, and now I'm a full-time Christian. (laughs) All right. Not on Sundays only. Um, uh, I, I went to, to the Bible, and I started uh, finding out things, uh, and I asked, uh, I did some praying, and I asked, Lord Jesus the Christ, what is going on here? Please help me. And slowly but surely, he revealed things to me that uh, uh, I should do. I, I, I got uh, uh, to know about deliverance ministries, um, <clears throat> and I read, read a lot of books on, uh, on that, and then I got... Uh, Deliverance ministry techniques like binding and loosening, loosening and casting out demons and all that kind of thing. Well, this is interesting, William. I mean, uh, uh, I believe powerful prayers can go a lot further than a Faraday yeah. cage. I agree with you on that score. But maybe uh, what you're because these whatever these wh- whoever was responsible for these thoughts was responding to these prayers. Maybe it's not some shadowy, uh, you know, uh, f- figure. Uh, in some government agency or whatever responsible. Oh, yes, maybe, it is. It is? Because I, oh, I was going to yes, say maybe you uh, This uh, technology is uh, uh, demon technology. They made a deal uh, All right. with the greys, uh, let, let's say, uh, or the tall whites or whatever you want to call them. And they made a deal, and they said, we'll give you this technology, and you use it against the people instead of for good purposes and for our agenda. And... Um, and the higher level of uh, uh, that rule of this world uh, went along with it. How did that, did that, was that information imparted to you through prayer? That was, 
Yeah, you, you, the more you read the Bible, the more you pray, the more discernment you have, and the more things you reveal, and, and the more things you figure out, and the more your mind clears up, and the more you uh, just bind and loose and cast these things out, the less they come back, and now they're not coming back whatsoever. Uh, are you being targeted in any other way remotely? Yes, yeah, remotely, yes. Uh, um, there is a lot of... Uh, Concern about this uh, in the in the last few weeks here from from uh, uh, the communications minister Ralph Goodale. He said a lot of people were being uh, their iPhones were being uh, their their cell phones are being uh, surveilled in Ottawa. He said uh, he doesn't know who's doing it, but he does know that uh, the RCMP have the technology and they don't use it unless they uh, get permission from the court. Uh, I know that's not the case whatsoever because I've seen how uh, people ask, how the Crown asks for this kind of surveillance in the court, and the, the, it's just granted. And um, then uh, our, our Prime Minister um, <clears throat> has, uh, um, uh, wants to change a few things in Bill C-51. He wants uh, the, the, the um, police to go to the court and get... Uh, permission from the court, from the judge, uh, based on solid ground and good reason, not just... Well, but that's, that's surveillance that's happening at sort of, a, you know, uh, in our face at a government-type level. But, uh, but you, what you're talking about is above, above and beyond that. I mean, do you, for example, um, are, are you being... Do you feel like a, a pain in the middle of the night that wakes you up out of a sleep? Are you having sleep disruption, that kind of thing? Not anymore. I used to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning... Every night, no matter how tired I was or no matter how well I had slept previously, um, um, uh, 4 a.m., I used to wake up for no reason at all. And, but now I don't do that. I can sleep. Well, William, I'm, I'm glad that things at least are, are, are improving for you. And um, you're, um, it's inspiring uh, to know that you can do this, you know, without having to, you know, purchase all of these... Uh, anti-surveillance uh, equipment and, and uh, build Faraday cages. You're doing it simply so through Faraday, the power I, of par- yeah. prayer. I know about Faraday cages from Dr. John R. Hall, and uh, they're, they're useful, but they're not practical. No, not you can't live in a Faraday cage for the rest of your life. William, great to hear from you. I hope you'll check in again with another update. Thank you okay, so much. Now, before you go, how yep. do I get more information to you uh, off the air? Uh, email me through my website. No, uh, no internet for me. Uh, all right, then I guess... Bring it down in person. Well, you could just drop something in the mail. Use snail mail. Okay, snail mail. 70 Jefferson Avenue. Okay. Toronto. Okay. And, uh, Ian, do you happen to know the uh, the postal code here off uh, by hand, uh, offhand? Uh, he's going to look that up for me. But it's, yeah, 70, just uh, to the conspiracy show, 70 Jefferson Avenue, Toronto. And Ian has the postal code. Jot this down. M6K3H4. M6, M6K3H4. M6K3H4. Okay. Yep. All right, William. I'll be on the lookout for it. Thank you. All right. We go now to uh, Oshawa, and uh, Paul is with us with another close encounter in Scarborough. Paul joined us last week, and he's here again. Hey, Paul. Welcome. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Uh, how are you keeping tonight? Very well, thank you. We just launched our new format, and I think it's going swimmingly. It's going very well. You have a great menu. All right, Paul, what's in, what do you have uh, in store for us uh, this evening? Another sighting? Oh, well, um, I just wanted to finish off the details from uh, last time I spoke to you 
about the close encounter I had over Scarborough of the pear-shaped UFO uh, with rotating lights around a larger light that stayed on, orange and yellow. Right, and this you had multiple uh, corroborating witnesses on this one as well, co-workers and so forth. Yes, uh, and, a, and a stranger, of course, who had pointed it out to me. Um, so when the uh, UFO was out of sight now to the north, moving slow with a high-pitched uh, beeping sound, uh, we went back to work, and I'm around car pickup, and after about 10, 15 minutes, we heard a strange uh, whirling kind of sound, like like above the sky, and uh, Chuck, who was collecting carts, the witness, yelled across the parking lot, did you hear that? And I said, I heard that, and we got together, we looked around the sky, we could see a trail from the sky from the west uh, to the east, approximately where the UFO had originally been, and we looked to the east, uh, maybe as far as Pickering or somewhere beyond in the Durham region, and we noticed a bright red-white light uh, going red, going white, uh, pulsating very high in the sky. We watched for about uh, a couple of minutes at most, and it went out and reappeared south, uh, probably over the lake or uh, bordering along the land and lake, uh, and did the same thing for about a minute or two and went out. Uh, and so uh, that was the end of what I had seen. And uh, I'm just going to bring you up to another sighting that is very similar, and I hope any listener who is a witness who had seen this, it happened uh, in the month of August. It was either 1988 or 1989. I was going down the Don Valley Parkway at 11 o'clock p.m. on a Friday in August, and I noticed motorists had pulled alongside the Don Valley heading south, and I could see them out of their vehicles looking and pointing towards the CN Tower, and that same type of object I had witnessed in 1977 was sitting stationary at the CN Tower, blue, green, yellow, red, uh, with an orangey light in the center, just sitting there stationary at the CN Tower. I thought, well... Um, well, from a distance, it may have looked like it was at the CN Tower, but in fact, it could have been miles away from the CN Tower. Uh, well, Rich, it looked pretty pretty close to it. Right. Uh, sitting okay. there. Uh, I, I was uh, floored by noticing the same pattern of lights as something you don't forget. And, uh, you know, there, there were uh, a number of vehicles pulled along the side uh, looking at it, you know, that had seen it. Pulled, pulled it along the side of the Don Valley Parkway, heading south. Correct, yes. Really? Yeah. So, Again, so for people listening, this was August, a Friday, either 1988 or 1989. At 11 p.m. Well, there must have been thousands and thousands of people who saw that. Uh, I would assume hundreds must have at least seen it, uh, as you say, maybe thousands. And, of course, when you talk about UFO sightings, uh, you'll find that uh, in probability or in stats, some people who witness a a UFO sighting, funny enough, will later forget the next day. Yes, I've heard that. The other thing is you'll have, let's say, for example, my – a perfect example, a good friend of the program, Ali Siadatan, who's been on talking – uh, about UFOs, and, and uh, he's a documentary filmmaker, and he talks about an experience he had when he went back to um, Iran to visit his father. His father and his stepmother in the car, they're making a uh, um, an overnight trip by car, and uh, they saw a huge craft, uh, 
come down, hover, and go into the ground. And uh, it was like in the following days, they just didn't talk about it. They didn't talk about it. And I hear this time and time again, whether people are so uh, jarred by the experience that they, they, they want to block it out, they don't want to talk about it. But you'll have multiple uh, people involved in a sighting and yet they don't talk about it amongst themselves, sometimes forever. What is that all about? Across, I have come across many people uh, speaking to people uh, to tell me, I've never told anybody this before and will tell me a story and uh, have been uh, some incredible stories uh, coming out of the water, uh, even a daylight sighting when their children hovering over them and they're running in the bushes scared. And this is in Scarborough. Hmm. Uh, but I've heard, I've heard uh, a story of a fella in a village where the whole village was down there because it was a, a large UFO in the day over a lighthouse. And the next day, uh, it was like 95% had forgotten about the sighting. Paul, how many over the years, and you've been on the program many times, uh, particularly early on when we launched this show, you were uh, a regular caller. How many sightings have you had in total throughout your life? Uh, I would say anywhere between 500 to 600 sightings. 500 to 600. Why you? Well, that's the $64 million question. But... uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, it has something to do possibly uh, if you want to get to the root of it, of your soul. So you know you've heard uh, there are new souls, uh, there are young souls, and there are old souls. And these souls travel throughout uh, many realms, many dimensions, and uh, various uh, layers uh, where, uh, you know, this kind of understanding the way we live is a little more different than in other realms and of course here I come and land on this planet just like anybody else and uh, I may assume that there are uh, various uh, cosmic families that are interested where their family souls are. Paul I gotta leave it there I'm sorry we're out of time, but thank you for checking in again. I appreciate the update. Always fascinating to hear from Paul in Oshawa and his uh, multiple UFO sightings. All right, Dave Schock is standing by. Cube Sat for Disclosure. Next on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You know, crowdfunding is a wonderful thing, and you see some interesting f- campaigns uh, on uh, on Kickstarter, for example, people trying to raise money for various projects. Uh, it's not often, though, you see a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign to launch a satellite intended to hunt for UFOs, but that's exactly what Dave Schock did. It's called CubeSat for Disclosure, Low Earth Orbit Satellite, the first satellite for UFO research, and... Um, Dave Schock joins us on the line. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Dave. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. 
great. My pleasure. So, uh, first of all, bring us up to like the latest. You you you've raised sufficient funds, and where are you now in terms of a launch date? Well, uh, we have raised a little over thirty thousand so far, and the whole project was going to be right about fifty thousand. And uh, we are still a little short because our uh, data cost is uh, really expensive. What it is, it's going to be around thirty thousand a month, or three thousand a month, pardon, uh, for our data uh, cost. And uh, when you say data uh, costs, Dave, you mean the satellite is sending information data da- back down to Earth. So in order to to make the connection to the satellite on a monthly basis. To pull down that information, uh, it's yes, going to cost exactly. $3,000 a month. Yeah, it sure is. And that's where we really do uh, still need donations to help out. Uh, what's uh, We have a site set up, and you can go to cubesat.tech, and you can read more about the satellite and uh, all that's going on with it. Uh, the project manager, the fellow that came up with it, is Dave Cote. He's the one that uh, come up with the project. See, uh, back in 08, I actually come up with the idea of putting up a satellite. And I went through the whole process, and it was going to be $200 million to do. Oh, so many. <laughs> yeah, I know. Lord. Well, but, obviously, uh, obviously, you found a discounted uh, way to go about this. How, how did you manage to bring your costs down from $200 million to... I Tens know, of thousands. Richard, see, uh, CubeSats, that was the whole thing. In 08, they really wasn't popular. And uh, CubeSats come into play some years later, and they got cheaper and cheaper. And like I say, we can do this whole project for $50,000 compared to $200 million back in the day. So, it's amazing. See, well, I, the, I the key here too. is miniaturization, right? So miniaturization. We, earlier we were playing a, a, a video that you sent, uh, a mock-up of the CubeSat. Now, that's a, a, a little model. Do you have that with you handy there? I sure do. Can you hold that up for us? I sure will. So, uh, I can't tell. I'm kind of trying to see it. Okay, here we go. Got we're just waiting that. for – this is Dave Schock yeah. uh, with us. And uh, this is the – there's the CubeSat. How? What's the rate? Is that the actual size? This is the actual size. You can see it compared to my hand. Wow! It's really pretty little. It is very little. Size of a shoebox. And as you see, these little flimsy. These are actually tape measures for the mock-up. Right. But this is how it's done. They're folded into shape, and when it's deployed off of the launcher up there, they will spring into shape, as you see. And you'll see there's there's a. Uh, our uh, solar panels, and on each side there will be a camera port that's on each side of the satellite. Right. And one will be pointing down, and one will be pointing up. All and right. so we'll have a heck of a view of the satellite as it's up there. You know, okay. From Earth, anything that comes into view, uh, we'll have a we'll be able to see it, and it's instantly downloaded so the people, everybody can see it. No one's going to touch these photos instant for everyone so if something comes in everyone knows right away there's no nasa grabbing hold of them or anybody like that you know and you know the view from the space station they we see something come in and poof oh we lost signal from what a billion dollar space station we lost signal imagine (laughs) that right imagine that so 
we're doing this. It's the people doing this. You it's know? it's fascinating to me, Dave, that no one thought of this before, that this is the first time that someone's thought to launch this CubeSat uh, to, to hunt for UFOs. I thought, you know, Stephen Greer is going to be on the program in a few weeks and, and uh, others, you know. Why hasn't anyone thought of this before? I know. You know, I come up with it no way, but yet it was so expensive. And, you know, I had been in contact with many in the UFO field during that, like James Fox, David Sarita. David Sarita even said that uh, uh, back, you know, back then it was uh, he was in touch with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd even gave us a thumbs up back then. But we couldn't raise that kind of money. That was too much. Okay, and what's but, the CubeSat? The actual, I mean, the money you raised was for the launch, but what's the what's the price yes. tag on a on the CubeSat? Okay, like I say, it was a total of about fifty thousand that pays for data and all. Ah, the CubeSat itself, well, the launch was sixteen thousand. Okay, we've already paid it. We paid it to interorbital systems. They're out of the Mojave Desert at the space and spaceport there. They, uh, they're the ones that are launching it, and they're a little behind. They're having a problem a little bit with some guidance and things like that, but uh, we're looking at hopefully by the end of the year. That's what we're hoping. We should be in orbit at around 190 miles up. That's low orbit. Yeah, yeah. Even the space station is considered low Earth orbit. They're at 230 miles somewhere around there. Can anyone launch a CubeSat? What are the restrictions? Yeah, yeah, actually, anybody can. Uh, uh, many uh, schools have done it and put them together as classrooms. Uh, there's been uh, some that have been through uh, uh, the ham radio operators have put them up. Uh, anybody really can do it, especially for the price nowadays. I mean, we crowdfunded this, and like I say, we've got a little over 30000 So we're hoping that we can get some more donations, help pay for this, because uh, uh, we're still behind, you know. We we have enough. When we pay for the launch, the satellite is pretty well being built, but it's the data cost that's really going to get us three thousand a month. That's uh, that's a lot of money, you know, right. just to send data back. Yeah. And just give us a sense of the, who else is involved in your team, Dave. So you have, yeah, sure. you have the we t- have Dave Cote, Dave Cote, project manager, come up with it. Right. He's out of Vancouver, uh, and we also have Curtis Hedges. Curtis Hedges is the uh, owner of TBLN Films. He's done quite a bit of uh, stuff in films with uh, uh, Jose Escamilla. Oh, yes, and, Jose. About, yeah. Talking about rods. I know Jose. Oh, listen, Dave, stay put. We're coming uh, up to a break here. Sure. On the other side, Dave Shock, Cube Sat for Disclosure. They've got the money, well, most of it now, to launch this miniature satellite. They need a little bit of help. Uh, with the uh, the data costs, about 3000 a month. We'll tell you how you can donate and uh, more of our conversation coming up on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dave Schock is with us. Spearheaded the crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter to raise money to launch a mini satellite. It's called a CubeSat into low Earth orbit, about 190 miles up there. 
uh, just uh, below the uh, the International Space Station, which is also in uh, in low Earth orbit. And the idea is this would be the first satellite designed to hunt for UFOs. And uh, earlier, uh, Dave held up this little mini satellite. You can it's the si literally the size of a shoebox. So what that means is instead of a $200 million price tag to launch kind of a standard-sized satellite up there, you bring the cost down to about 50000 which includes building the, the, the mini-satellite and, uh, and launching it. And uh, it will be launched by this company out in the, uh, the Mojave Desert. Did we, uh, did we lose, Dave? Oh, I'm still here. Oh, there you are, Dave. Okay, good. <laughs> Excellent. How can people... Uh, you still need... Uh, you need... Um, kind of a constant source now of income or revenue yes, rather for the three thousand dollars per month for the, uh, the for the data uh yeah how, it costs a lot to do that it, it's amazing the data costs three thousand dollars a month well how are you going to monitor this option. thing how are you going to monitor this thing because you know let's say a ufo comes into view and it snaps is it video or photographs it's going to take this will be photographs what it is these are hd cameras that will be taking photos every five seconds and they will be constantly streaming down thumbnails. Wow, that's a lot of data. Seconds. That's a full-time job to monitor. Yeah, yes, it is. It's going to be. But we do have motion detection that will detect if something odd comes into view. We'll be notified immediately. But we're going to have somebody monitoring the whole time. And then when that happens, it will send a backlog of HD photos down, which is more data. And then we'll actually have HD photos taken uh, and be able to watch what's going on. Plus, we have a magnetometer on board to get any kind of magnetic anomalies. And we also have a scintillation counter, which is a Geiger counter, basically, to get any kind of radiation. Detection. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, it's not just cameras. We're actually, if we see something fly in view and fly through its trail and get a mag magnetic anomaly or a radiation, you know, we have even more confirmation. And then it flies down in over Ohio or Arizona here, where I'm at, you know, and we get reports then it, there we go, you know, we, we have confirmation. All right, so if, if people want to contribute to the, uh, are you still using Kickstarter for this? Uh, well, no, not right now, no. Well, as we are, we have our own site right now set up, and that's all there is. All right, so if people want to contribute, what do they do, Dave? Yeah, go to CubeSat.tech. And that should take you to a site. It's at Fine Line Labs, and that is Dave Cote's uh, uh, site. Set okay, up. Let, me, let me get the website out again. CubeSat, C-U-B-E-Sat, S-A-T dot tech. Yeah. And how do you spell it? T-E-C-H. CubeSat dot tech. Yes. All right. And that's where people can contribute. What's the... What's the lifespan of one of these CubeSats before it starts? the orbit starts to decay? Yeah, okay, yeah, here's where this, this is a little stickler, okay? At 190 miles, we're only looking at two or three months, and that's about it. Wow. And uh, it depends on space weather, which there is space weather. Anything from uh, uh, solar flares to even at the, at the equator, the Earth expands a little, and the atmosphere is, is actually out farther than it is at the poles, so... Every orbit, we get a little drag, and we're only looking at two or three months at this present orbit. Now, we are looking at some options that we have with a few other uh, companies, and if we get us a sugar daddy out there, it might really donate 
uh, I have an option for a SpaceX uh, Falcon 9 launch up to a nearly 500 miles, and we could last for a couple of years. Ah, that's the or next level, it? which would yes. put you up 500 miles into uh, yes. that orbit. And what's the price tag on that particular? Yeah. We're looking at least $150,000 on okay. just the launch. Yeah. All right. But that's really, at that at that altitude and everything, that, that's fantastic. We can't beat that. Now, it's an Italian company. I have been in contact with them, and we're just waiting now. Uh, like I say, uh, 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 Curtis Hedges, he is working on maybe finding some sponsors. If that comes into play, we will have enough to put it up at a higher orbit, and there we go. We may be up there for a year or so and uh, find us a <laughs> yeah, you need a you need a benefactor with deep pockets. Uh, I, you yeah. know, I listen. No pressure, but Dan Aykroyd, if you're listening, you know this is something you should be able to get behind. I would think a lifelong uh, yeah, you know fascination with UFOs. Sure, into this, you know, more in the UFO community. Many have donated, and that's how we've got this far. I mean, I was at the International UFO Congress last year's in Phoenix. And, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't live that far from Phoenix. I live a little north of Sedona, but. I uh, uh, was down there, and Chase Glutsky, she was been promoting it, promoting it, and Buffon is dead behind us. It's just that we do need a big benefactor, someone like Dan Aykroyd to come on board, or uh, some of these other networks that play a lot of this UFO stuff, Gaia, what, uh, Curiosity Stream, yeah. uh, Pepsi. I mean, you know, they did that, that video on the Black Knight satellite. What was it last year, a little short video they did on it. So they're interested. So we just need someone. We'll put a little watermark Pepsi on the picture there. All right. Come on. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, Dave Schock is with us, and it's CubeSat for Disclosure, launching a mini satellite in low Earth orbit, uh, hunting for UFOs. They've raised money to build the CubeSat, which is the size of a shoebox. It's going to be uh, equipped with high definition uh, camera. And uh, they are ready to launch out of the Mojave Desert. The only thing they need now is some help with uh, paying the monthly fee for data. I mean, this is going to be taking photographs every five seconds and sending them back down to Earth. So it's about $3,000 a month. And again, the website is cubesat.tech. C-U-B-E, cube, sat, short for satellite, S-A-T, dot T-E-C-K. Sorry, T-E-C-H. T-E-C-H, CubeSat.tech. Uh, let's grab a call here. Michael in Thornhill. Good evening or good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on with Dave Schock. Go ahead. Thank you. Dave, um, I was wondering about your capabilities about this CubeSat. I, I live in a little area just north of Toronto called Thornhill. And, uh, well, it's a little bit of a hot spot for UFOs. I'm wondering, will your machine be able to target certain areas that are considered hot spots on the Earth. Excellent question, Michael. Dave, can you can you yeah. uh, can you focus your lens on particular hot spots around the globe? Okay. Well, we don't have actually a zoom lens, so it'll be taking a general picture. And now you've probably seen the video feed from the International Space Station. It will be similar to that. We won't be able to really zoom in, but we will be over all the hot spots because we'll be orbiting every 90 minutes. So we're going to end up covering the entire globe eventually. Uh, like the space station does. So, you know, the hot spots, let's hope that something happens at that time, but for zooming into the actual area, no, we're not really able to do that, but, you know, we'll, we will be able to cover the area 
Like, there's hot spots right here where I live, supposedly. I've never seen nothing here, but I'm sure we'll at least get some photos over it. <laughs> Uh, if I could ask you again, uh, Dave, could you could you hold up the um, the, sure. uh, the, sure. the mock-up of the uh, the CubeSat again so people uh, watching on the live YouTube stream can see it? Dave Schock is with us, and um, he is the uh, the man who spearfunded or spearheaded rather the the crowdfunding campaign to raise money for this miniature satellite, low Earth orbit satellite that'll hunt for UFOs. And uh, again. Uh, Dave, do you have a, you don't have a firm launch date, but do you have a kind of a, a, a rough idea? Is it going to be before the end of the year? We're hoping before the end of the year. We really don't know. I'm in contact with them often, and they've just been a bit behind. They're actually part of the uh, Google X Prize to the moon, so they're actually uh, sending something to the moon here coming up uh, early next year. So, you know, they're, they're a pretty good company, and they stand behind us. They love the UFO stuff. They're really interested in it, and to have a rocket company that stands behind you like that is pretty good. And we also have been in talk with uh, maybe crowdfunding one other mission, and that is possibly sending CubeSats to image the moon. Once and for all, ah, for yes. us, I've already got a price from them. It is pretty steep, but it's but we were talking about sending three Cube satellites to the moon to image the entire moon for us to see it structures or anything like that like people have said uh we'll we'll have them cover that even so Brilliant. that's our next let me ask you albert can you put today full screen here so we can get a, a control went to studio d yeah. I, oh, I don't know what that means but anyway we're working on it we're going to try to get a full uh, screen image of you dave so you can hold up the uh the satellite again if not sure. we'll uh There'll be pictures online and so forth. And people, where can people see the video, the the, the video that you sent us of the mock-up? Where can people see that? Oh, um, I, didn't, I didn't actually send a video of the mock-up. Oh. Um, Dave Cote has an, the actual video of the exact satellite. He has been working on it, and he sent out a small video here, oh gosh, it was about a month ago. We have your full screen, uh, Dave, if you can hold that uh, up again. Yeah, we have you up on the full screen on the YouTube uh, stream. Okay. All right, we'll have a look at that uh, in a second. Eyes of a darn shoebox, ain't that something? In all the technology, you can see the the uh, solar panels will be on the one side. It will have a camera port here. Right. And we'll on the other side, so we get up in a down view. And it's kind of open just to show that there's electronics inside. Right. This will be completely covered. What size of and, rocket uh, do you need to put that thing into orbit? She's pretty good size. Yeah, she's pretty good size. Um, I don't know the actual measurements of the rocket that they're using on this one because, like I say, they're still pretty new and they've been doing testing. And I'm not sure of the exact rocket that they'll be sending, but it's a pretty good size one because it's not going to launch just us. It's going to be launching uh, quite a few different cubesats at the same time. Oh, I see. So, uh, okay, there's multiple yeah, cubesats yeah, being launched. Be that makes sense. Quite a few, maybe 12, or maybe even up to 20. It's hard to say how many they will actually launch out in time. Now, um, I don't want to put ideas in any uh, anybody's heads, anyone out there listening, uh, ne'er-do-wells out there, but are you concerned at all about sabotage? Because, uh, you know, there is this yeah. this lid oh, cool. on, uh, on 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 uh, the UFO uh, secret, and, um, yeah. you know, they're yeah, going to catch so wind far, of this. No knock at the door yet. We have heard <laughs> nothing. It's been silent. And we've been at this for over a year now. So I would have figured that if something would have happened, you know, we, they would have said something. Unless they 
got a missile sitting somewhere with our name on it, and that last photo we get says United States Army on the side or something as it hits us. So we at least have proof that they did it. But, uh, you know, we're hoping that there shouldn't be a problem. Excellent. Dave, uh, congratulations on at least taking it this far. I think it's a brilliant idea. You're to be commended. Let me give the website again. It's cubesat.tech, Q-sat, C-U-B-E-S-A-T S-A-T, dot tech, T-E-C-H. If you're looking for donations to help pay the uh, the data costs, $3,000 a month. Incidentally, Dave, have you, been on, your help. have you been on Coast to Coast? No, I haven't been on yet. That's Let's do one that. of the shows I haven't been on. Let's do that next month, my friend. Yes, yes, please. All right. You never know who's listening. All right, my thanks to Ian, Ryan, Albert. Back next week with a brand-new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.